Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. I think we're all running to get in here in time for starting our service. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us there online, uh, whether you're on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, any of those platforms, be sure to like, to share, to heart us there, to follow us on YouTube, subscribe there uh, too, and that, that just helps to get the word out even more. Uh, comment there and that'll help even more. So uh, take those steps to do that. You can even do that from here uh, through your phone, through your device. So be sure to do that if you can. Also, and want to say welcome to those who are listening on our phone live streaming uh, there. If you need that number, we'll be glad to give that to you. So please see me after the service uh, for that. If you have access to the church website, we do have the links back up the way they should be. So uh, you can go to the info tab and it's under the info tab. You'll find uh, today's worship bulletin. You'll also find the children's worship bulletins. If you need these in person, these are at the doors uh, as well as on the sides here. Uh, and then the children's worship bulletins are in the window to my right. So be sure to pick up one of those if you need the paper copy. Uh, but they are online there for you under the info tab as well as our prayer list uh, from this past week. So be sure to get those things uh, downloaded there. Uh, we're excited for the worship service today and again next Sunday too. So there's a lot of things uh, that are happening. Good to see some folks who are back with us uh, this morning who've been out for a while. So uh, looking forward to the worship service this morning. Brother Mike, we'll get running. <laughs> Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. Stand with us and let's sing 227. Take your hymnals to 227. Praise him, praise him. Yeah. <clears throat>
So this morning you'll notice in your bulletins our missionary of the week is Carolyn Anderson. Carolyn uh, is serving uh, with Ukrainian refugees who've been displaced uh, by the war. So I want to encourage you to take the time uh, to read the article there uh, in your bulletins. But we are also this month emphasizing our golden offering uh, for Tennessee missions. You'll find the pink envelopes around in the windows uh, and at the tables at the doors as you leave this morning. So be sure to pick up one of those uh, and also the prayer guides that are there uh, to be praying for our missions work throughout Tennessee. We want to share a video with you this morning uh, from our disaster relief. Disaster relief does a lot of different things uh, throughout our state as well as in other states and supporting other states when there are hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, fires, all kinds of things. And one of the things that they have been able to help this year with uh, is with Blue Oval City. You may not know what Blue Oval City is, uh, but it's the Ford plant that's being constructed over in West Tennessee. Uh, there's about 50,000 people that are going to be added to the population over there over the next 10 years. Uh, many of those small areas over there uh, are e exploding with growth already with the construction workers uh, who are there and the churches are seeking to reach out to them. And so there's been some opportunities for our disaster relief to help in feeding them. So prayerfully watch this video this morning about our Golden Offering missions in Tennessee. We're here at the Ford Manufacturing Plant that's called Blue Oval City here in West Tennessee, being built in South Haywood County. Today we're feeding 1,100 workers in this shift as a, a way of saying welcome. We're showing Southern hospitality. We're uh, letting the folks know that we are praying for them, that we are grateful they're in our community. We've got probably 20, 25 churches. We've got a, an army of volunteers here today. Our disaster relief volunteers are helping cook the meal. And I get a chance to, to say a word to them. We're going to be sharing the gospel through a gift of Bibles and a gift card that we're leaving with them today. I got three Bibles if anybody wants a Bible. Well, for us, disaster relief is more than just disaster. We expect our, our teams around Tennessee to be involved in their local communities doing stuff. That way they keep their people active and they keep the team active. They, they learn to work together as a team. And so doing events like this that are small may not be disaster related, but still is an opportunity to minister in the name of Christ allows them to do that. This one here is a tremendous one and that it's 1,100 people we're feeding for lunch in a real quick situation. So it's been a challenge, but yet it's also a blessing. And that's what we talked about this morning when we had devotions before we came out here this morning was the fact that we're here to serve. These people, a lot of them don't live here, not from here, the workers on the site. And so we have an opportunity to have a good positive witness for them of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the passage that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And we just want to say thank you, Tennessee Baptist, for giving through the cooperative program and the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions that makes this ministry possible. We like to say here in Tennessee that any way you slice it, Tennessee is a mission field. And this is an example of how the Lord has, has given us an opportunity uh, to see people, meet people, share the gospel people from literally all across the country, even around the world. Some of them have never heard the story. And so we are so grateful for this mission opportunity. And what a wonderful blessing that is that we have through our Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions and missions across our state to serve in disaster relief. Is there anybody here this morning who served in our Southern Baptist disaster relief teams? Just a few, myself, Samantha, and Tommy that I saw raise hands. Is anybody back here? 
It is a wonderful blessing. Our association is going to be beginning to reinvigorate uh, and reignite our disaster relief team from our association. So we want to share more about that with you as that comes uh, down the pike here. But we want to uh, be sure to share that with you to give you those opportunities. We've served on uh, mass feeding units that can feed anywhere from 20 to 30,000 people a day. Uh, we've also served on uh, laundry units uh, where we've washed clothes for people after tornadoes. Uh, been there to counsel people as a chaplain. Uh, there are all kinds of things. Even, even Miss Samantha has taken chainsaw training. So if she can do it, you can do it. <laughs> so uh, we'll share that with you more as that becomes available through our association. So let's pray for uh, our golden offering for Tennessee Missions. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given to us. Thank you for the privilege we have to be able to support missionaries and mission work that is going on across our state, especially through this one that's mentioned this morning of disaster relief. Uh, Father, this goes to support uh, things that happen across our state with tornadoes tornadoes, with flooding, with fires, with uh, things like this, with the Blue Oval City and feeding those massive amounts of people and sharing the gospel with them. Father, I pray that you would ignite within our hearts a passion to be involved in those kinds of ministries across our state and around uh, the nation even as we go to serve in those places. So Father, I pray for your will to be done this morning. Bless those missionaries. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll bless our missionaries that are in the bulletin this morning, uh, Carolyn Anderson and her family uh, who are serving and ministering to the European peoples. Father, we just pray uh, for your blessing to be upon her too and upon all these missionaries. So bless us, Lord, that we also might give towards, those, uh, towards this offering uh, to support those missions and continue to be reminded to pray as we go through our prayer guide throughout this month. So Father, I pray that your will be done this morning as we come to worship you. We give everything we have and everything we are to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let me just remind you uh, there at home especially, uh, go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side. Click the Give Online tab. Uh, it's a real simple platform there. You can set up your online giving as a recurring gift, a one-time gift. Uh, you can do that here in person too, but we do have our offering envelopes uh, that are in the windows and at the doors also. Uh, you can grab one of those. We'll be having those back in the pew soon, uh, as soon as we can get that done. Uh, so be sure to grab one of those, put those in the offering plate uh, as you leave today. So, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. No. I've got two of them up here. I won't know where in the world I am. <clears throat> Take your hymnals now and turn to 138. Let's sing. I'll sing together with uh, at Calvary, 138.
Now, whether I said stand up before or not, this time stand up. <laughs> 490, lead me to Calvary. can have fun when we're in the house of the Lord, Mike. <laughs> Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to John's Gospel. John chapter 19, verse 1 down through verse 16. I've entitled the message this morning, He's My King. And as we get into this passage, you may be thinking, well, Pastor, we've already looked at this uh, particular uh, sec section and episode of Jesus' ministry and life. But what I wanted to do was to take a different perspective and looking at it from different Gospels uh, of the things that each one of the Gospel writers have shared with us. And so this is our last one on this particular section here of the, the trials and, and especially now as we lead into the scourging uh, of Jesus and leading almost all the way up to the cross. 
Uh, and that's the last thing I want us to see as we get here before we get to the cross uh, is what we're going to see in this passage this morning. So we're going to begin with verse 1 down through verse 5 in John chapter 19. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer once again, Lord, we come with humbled hearts. Lord, reading here what Jesus is already going through in just these first five verses. And yet, Lord, in all the midst of the suffering and the pain and the agony that he is going to face in these last hours as we read through the scriptures here, we are reminded for us as believers, those who have trusted in him as Lord and Savior, that's my king. And so, Father, I pray that this message will ignite a passion within us as believers to want to tell others about our king. And Lord, for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, may this message about him being and wanting to be their king resonate within their hearts and bring them, Lord, to the place of salvation and repentance this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You know, going back all the way to John chapter 12 and the triumphal entry the Lord Jesus had made there a celebrated entrance into Jerusalem. You remember there, they were waving palm branches uh, and, and, and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But just in a few short days, everything had changed. Their desire for a coronation had been changed into their demand for a crucifixion. And while today's text is going to stop just short of Golgotha's hill, we're going to travel with Jesus up to the very foot of the cross. The, the crowd received Jesus on Sunday and they rejected him on Friday for the same reason. Because they were looking for the wrong kind of king. They were, there was Jesus, who we are going to see in this passage, who is beaten beyond recognition. He's bleeding the blood of redemption. He looks anything but like royalty. And yet, we ought to want to proclaim boldly today as believers, that's my king. So I want to encourage you to look with, with your heart and your spiritual eyes and you'll see the evidence here for you to crown him as king of your life today if you've never trusted by faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, Mark Twain wrote a classic novel called The Prince and the Pauper. And it tells the fascinating story of two young boys who look strikingly alike. And as the title implies, one is a prince, the other is a pauper. Uh, the boys meet by happenstance and they, they exchange clothes and they rather unintentionally embark on a series of misadventures, each boy wrongfully assumed by the other. 
And you'll remember if you've read that story or if you've seen the Disney movie, the story climaxes on Coronation Day as the pauper is about to wrong, be wrongfully crowned as the king of England. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John set out to write another case of mistaken identity. And this was one of a royal proportion because here was the king of glory who had made himself of no reputation, hiding behind the veil of flesh and a robe of humanity. And he came into his own, the Bible says, and they received him not. Like Prince Edward out of Twain's novel, Jesus isn't truly recognized as the ruler that he is. Oh, he's a king, but he's a different kind of king than the one they were seeking. But for those of us who have come to faith in Christ, who our hearts have been awakened spiritually to the reality of our sin, and we've been drawn by the power of God to the foot of the cross and led by grace to the empty tomb of the risen Savior, we understand that Jesus is exactly the kind of king we need. We can say with the old hymn writer, King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. I want you to see several things about this picture of our king. He is a scorned king. He's a scorned king. And because he's a scorned king, we ought to respect him. We saw last week, and it became obvious uh, in these opening verses, that the actions of Pilate were designed to evoke sympathy uh, for Jesus that he might be released. Uh, in Luke 23, verse 20, it said that uh, uh, at this point here, Pilate wanted to release Jesus. Uh, in addition uh, to his own analysis of the innocence of Jesus, if you read in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 27, it tells us about, remember the warning from Pilate's wife uh, that we had seen before. Don't have anything to do with this man. Let him go. She had had some dreams that night that troubled her. But here's this Roman governor, Pilate. He knew that the Jews were thirsty for blood. Maybe if Jesus was beaten, maybe if Jesus were shamed in front of the crowd that filled the streets for Passover, he, his claim to be king would obviously be seen as a sham and the Sanhedrin would relent. But once again, we see the hand of providence at work because it's actually in the, that humiliation of Jesus, that the Savior is exalted in the eyes of all those who love him and who realize his rejection was for our sakes and in our place. That's why we sing, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. See the scourging that he felt. In verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, there's a debate as to what type of scourging Jesus receives here. Uh, there were actually three different types of beatings called scourging or flogging. One was a serious but not severe flogging, usually given out for light offenses and petty crimes. The second was a more uh, serious physically because it was given to those guilty of more serious crimes. Uh, and the third was the most severe because it typically was coupled with crucifixion. The last category was often done uh, with the implement commonly known as what we refer to today as the cat of nine tails. Uh, 
Eyewitness accounts of this severe beating report that many condemned criminals would be beaten so badly that they would be, they would be disemboweled and, and they would die as a result of the flogging post. Because you could just imagine uh, those nine straps coming around with glass shards and bone connected into them and grabbing a person anywhere along the abdomen there as they're scourging that individual, ripping the flesh apart, ripping it so much that, that literally their, their entrails could come out. Jesus would actually receive such a beating. But as we see here in verse 1, it doesn't seem to be that particular beating that happens here. It seems obvious when you begin to put the Gospels together that this is not that vicious beating with the cat of nine tails. That will come later. That one would fit between verses 15 and verse 16 of what we're going to read here in, if John were giving a detailed play-by-play -play account, which we don't know that he is doing that. Verse 3 says that they smote him with their hands. I don't know if you've seen this new fad that's come about. I guess it's a sport or something uh, where uh, two guys, you know, used to think they would arm wrestle with each other. Now they just stand there and they have to stand there while somebody slaps them on the face. It's a real thing. And here's what happens with Jesus. Over and over they slap him with their hands. The other Gospels add that they beat him with a reed. And these hardened Roman soldiers beat him there in the face. It would seem that this lesser lashing is designed to teach Jesus a lesson and to satisfy the desire of the Jews to see Jesus punished. And it's almost like Pilate saying, okay, I beat him, that, that's all he deserves, if anything, because I've not found any guilt in him, and we'll let him go. That scourging that he felt we see there. Then we also see the scoffing that he faced. Look again at verse 2 and verse 3. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Just imagine that. I mean, we think of our briar bushes. Uh, this thor these thorns would have been this long or longer. Uh, that, that are wrapped around in a vine that they've fashioned with their hands is probably cut them as they've been fashioning it. And they take it and they place it on the scalp. You know, one of the, the scalp is one of the most tender places on your body. That and your feet. And you can just imagine as they place that crown and they push it down. And those thorns are in, embedded there in his scalp. I remember one time I was... Uh, putting up a vacation Bible school sign uh, at our previous church, you know, using those fence post drivers, those stand, you know what that is. Taking that and pushing it down and pushing it down, up and down, up and down, and I came a little too far off that post and pop right on the head. And I just poured the blood. Now, when you looked at it, in fact, just down the street, the, the rescue squad was down visiting a, one of our church members. They had just stopped to talk with him. Uh, and, and they were on their way back. My daughter that's here with us this morning is the one that flagged them down, and, and they came and stopped, and it was just a little tiny cut that was in my head. I said, you probably won't even need stitches for it. But it profusely bled. It looked horrible. It looked like I was going to bleed to death. Blood was flowing everywhere. But you can just imagine these thorns all around his scalp being pressed down, and he's bleeding all over. 
Now we see here in verse 3, they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So in addition to that great physical suffering, part of the rejection of Jesus was the mockery of this perfect man, of the cursing and the blasphemous insults to the only person who had ever deserved to have anything good said about him. Isaiah was right. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was, he, he was humanity. Uh, who, uh, humanity did not esteem him at, at once. One writer said, says these taunts are little more than barracks vulgarity, the kind of roughhousing that these brute Roman soldiers might carry out as a form of derision. So this beating it would have been steeped in racism and hatred of all the Jews. And yet it was directed here at one Jew in particular. The crown, some say, even, that those thorns could have been as long as 12 inches. We don't know. They placed that purple robe on him. It was a mockery as they placed it on him right there in front of Herod. And then they gave him this mocking title, King of the Jews, as they spit on him and, and, and bow in mocking worship. The importance of these is underscored by the fact that John includes them all in verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. We see the scriptures that he fulfilled. Remember, rather than sending Jesus straight to death, Pilate had hoped to appease the religious leaders by humiliating Jesus in this way, stopping short of killing an innocent man. And yet God in his sovereignty uses the cowardice and the political maneuverings of Pilate to bring about not just the death, but also the total mockery and ridicule of Jesus. Without those beatings, without the mockery, without the rejection, Jesus wouldn't have fulfilled all of the Old Testament messianic prophecies. Listen to some of them. Psalm 22, verse 6 through verse 8 says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him, they say. Psalm 69, 4 says, More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? See, the Messiah would be hated without reason. Isaiah 8, verse 14 says this, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both, the house, houses of, to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The Bible telling us there that the Messiah would be a stumbling block and an offense to Israel. And he was. Isaiah 53 and verse 1 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That applied to Jesus in, in what was said in John 12 and verse 37 and 38 that said, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
Isaiah 53, 3 says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 50, verse 6 and verse 7 says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Three times in this text, notice that Pilate says, Behold. That's a great idea. We need to behold him. A 17th century hymn writer put it like this. O sacred head, now wounded with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine, yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine bloodied, beaten, betrayed. That's my king. He's a scorned king, but he's also a sovereign king. So we ought to revere him. Pick up with me in verse 6, if you will. So throughout this ordeal, there's been some debate as to who's really in charge of these whole proceedings. I mean, we haven't discussed it, but there's actual debate as to where Annas, Annas or Caiaphas was really in charge of the religious trial. And then they come to Pilate. And Pilate says, well, he's a Gentile. This is, this is Herod's uh, jurisdiction. He's from Nazareth, so uh, he's a Galilean. Uh, and so Herod says, no, Pilate, you're the one that you should decide it. Two times Pilate tells the Jews, you need to deal with Jesus by your own law. And, and so with human eyes, it would be hard to identify who the ruling judge is in this case. I mean, religious Jews are standing there with flowing robes. Herod Antipas was a powerful man and no doubt looked the part. And we can only imagine the pomp and the circumstance and the clothing of, of Pilate. And this event even presumes ultimate control by Caesar. But I want to tell you who was really in control. The one who was really in charge was the Nazarene carpenter, the one who had the crown of thorns on his head, the one whose blood was dripping from his nose and his mouth, the one who seems to be the subject to the rest is really the Lord of all. Notice the crime that was alleged in verse 6 and verse 7. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And as you hear the accusation ring out, you have to admit they're right. Jesus did make himself out to be the son of God because he is the son of God. The fact that they believe his claim was a crime underscores their spiritual blindness. Their claim is only worthy of death if it were not true. Hadn't Jesus given enough proof? He had healed the sick. He had cleansed the lepers. 
He had strengthened the lame. He had gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and speech to the mute. He was the Son of God on several occasions. He even raised people from the dead. On one occasion, he told a lame man that his sins were forgiven and then healed the man to prove his authority as God. John writes in his gospel, John 20, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. He did all of those things, and all of those things are recorded so that you this morning might believe. But understand, we're not limited to the miracles of the Bible for evidence. I mean, think about it. Who but the Son of God could touch your marriage? And keep it together. Who but the Son of God could could help you forgive wrongs done to you? Or, Or who could take drugs or alcohol from your hand and put a Bible in it? Who but the Son of God could turn a a drunk into a daddy or a harlot into a homemaker? Who but the Son of God could forgive sin and wash away the guilt of the past? Who but the Son of God could take all the pieces of your life and put it back together. We say he's not worthy of death, but he's guilty as charged of claiming to be God. He's my king. There's the crime that was alleged. There was the control that was assumed. Notice verse 8. Verse 8 down through verse 11 says, When Pilate heard this statement from those leaders, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and brings Jesus back in so he can say to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? In other words, what Pilate was saying is, The power is in my hands between life and death. But notice what Jesus answers in verse 11. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Two words are important here, power or authority. It refers to the right and not the might. In this case, Pilate has the right, but he doesn't have the might. Another important word is above. So as the Roman governor Pilate's authority is truly borrowed authority, it's borrowed for him as a governor from Rome. But the authority Jesus is describing and the above that he is referencing is significantly higher than the Roman government because if Pilate thinks he was controlling Jesus, he's operating above his pay grade. So here's the crime that was alleged. Here was the control that was assumed. But then notice the coercion that was applied. Uh, Verse 12 goes on to say, it says, From then on Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, when you look at this and 
you begin to examine the text here and you begin to look at other extra biblical resources that are, indicate Pilate had already had some run-ins with Rome. There was every indication that Pilate's governorship was filled with corruption and bribery. The Jews essentially say, we'll tell your boss on you if you don't do what we want. They say, you don't want Rome to come down and evaluate your performance, do you? One writer says that Pilate couldn't afford to have his record scrutinized closely in Rome. So if Jesus has ultimate and final authority, why doesn't he use it? The answer is he is. He's using his divine authority to do exactly what he's chosen to do. Think about it. Legions of warring angels are standing ready to respond to the slightest command of the Lord Jesus. He who commands the sun to shine. He who commands the tides to change and the winds to blow. He's not being pushed around by a mere mortal man. Pilate is being coerced and motivated by outside forces. But he's not being controlled by Rome or the Sanhedrin. He's been controlled by the one he mocks as the king of the Jews. That's my king. He's a scorned king. He's a sovereign king. But I want you to see finally also, he is a saving king. And we ought to receive him. Verse 13 tells us that, that Pilate heard. Notice verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words. It means light bulb comes on, he gets the message. The choices are simple. Honor Jesus and lose your position or reject Jesus and do what you please. For Pilate, it was either me or Jesus. And that was an easy choice for the governor to make. So notice where the law was settled in, in verse 13 here. So he heard these words and he brought Jesus out and sat him down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement. And in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now the word here for that seat, for that place of judgment there is Bema. You've heard of that before? It means a step. It means a raised platform. It's the same word used to describe the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the bema, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so throughout this gospel, John consistently inserts an inspired form of irony and even sarcasm here. Here's an example. John uses a word structure here that could mean Pilate sat Jesus on the seat rather than that Pilate sat there himself. Now that's unlikely and the context seems clear that Pilate is at the judgment seat. Jesus is the one who's before him. But it seems that John is getting this little dig in here, if you will, by foreshadowing the day when the tables will turn. Leon Morris says in his commentary, he says, Pilate thought that he was giving judgment when in fact he was doing something for which he would one day come into judgment himself for. Matthew 27 verse 22 tells us in this same place, that Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do 
with Jesus who is called the Christ. And they all said, let him be crucified. And so that's the question of the ages. What shall we do with Christ? So as we see Pilate judging Jesus, let it be a reminder that one day we're all going to stand before Jesus. And his judgment of you on that day is going to be based in large part on your judgment of him today. Once you walk through the doorway of death, your case will be settled. That's where the law was settled. We see also when the lamb was selected. Look at verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. So he's making a dig there to the Jews, if you will. So why does John tell us that this is the sixth hour on preparation day? Now, I believe there's ample evidence to show that Jesus is fully and finally selected to die at the same time that the priests were preparing the final lambs for the Passover. In the Jewish system, thousands of lambs would be sacrificed by those worshipers coming to Jerusalem. But in the simplest terms, there were a couple of official lambs that would be offered. One was in the morning, the other was in the evening. These were the tamid and the perpetual sacrifices. As the priests are in the temple selecting and, and sacrificing the Passover lambs, God's Passover lamb is headed to the altar of the cross. R. Kent Hughes said this, the final rejection took place at the sixth hour, the very hour that the priests began to slaughter the Passover lambs for that day. So here is Jesus Christ in his royal sovereignty, in total control of these events. He's timed his own sacrifice to coincide with the official offering of the Passover lambs. On, on the day of preparation, the word means to make ready. They're making ready for the ultimate Passover lamb to be slain, and they don't even realize it. That's when the lamb was selected. Here's the final thing. Why? Why? Why was the Lord Jesus sacrificed? Look at the last two verses that we'll look at this morning, verse 15 and verse 16. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. One last fleeting attempt. Pilate poses the question. It seems to be a mix of mockery and mercy. The Jews had no desire for Caesar, but they use this as a final statement to remind Pilate of what's at stake. And so from a human perspective, he sacrificed because we don't want a king. We don't want any king to rule over us. But from heaven's perspective, he sacrificed because we desperately need this king to rule over us. John 3, 16 and verse 17 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Oh, and he will rule, but his reign will be different. He established his, his reign, not by, as, as a conquering Caesar, but by conquering sin. It, he'll wage war, not in a field of battle, but on a hill of blood. As he, as he hangs there beaten beyond recognition, it, he looks even less like a king than when he read in, rode into the town just a few days before on a donkey. As he coughs up his own blood and he breathes his last, he gives up the spirit as we're going to see and dies on the cross. He doesn't look very royal on that cross. But three more days, watch a dead man start to breathe again. Watch him shove the grave out of his way. That's my king. Let's be honest. He doesn't look really kingly on Friday. But Sunday's coming. And that's my king. He doesn't look very royal when he's there in Pilate's hall. But catch a glimpse of him busting out of that grave, you might just change your mind about him and say, that's my king. This text is about crucifixion day. But one day there is going to be a coronation day. And the king, this king is not going to be wearing a crown of thorns then. He's going to have on his head the golden crown of the universe. That's my king. He won't have nails in his hands, but he'll have a golden scepter in his hand that he'll judge the nations with. People won't be bowing in disrespect and hurling insults at him on that day. No, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is God. Here's what I want you to get this morning. I'm not going to wait till then. I claim him as my king today. And I proclaim him as my king today. So exalt him and lift him up on high. Lift the name of Jesus high. Magnify him. Come glorify Jesus Christ the king and say majesty. Worship his majesty. Jesus who died now glorified king of all kings. The question this morning is the same question that was asked by Pilate back then. What would you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful image from John's gospel here of the crucifixion and leading up to it of Jesus. Father, I come to you and ask you this morning that if there are those who are here this morning who've never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, may they come this morning, maybe if they're watching online, to just call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus as my Savior. I believe he died on that cross for me and that he was buried in the tomb for me and that he arose from the grave on the third day to give me life eternal. I trust in Jesus as my Savior. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and save me. 
and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Change my life. Father, I pray that if there are some who've prayed that in their hearts or something like that, Father, and, and they meant that with all sincerity, I pray, Father, that they would come forward this morning to publicly profess that faith in Christ, to follow through with believers' baptism. Lord, there are others, maybe you've been working in their hearts to come and to join this church, this fellowship, as we continue to share the gospel with those around us, as we continue to disciple those who are believers. Father, I pray for your will to be done this morning. Father, if we're here as a believer, May we recognize and realize he's my king. And Lord, I pray that we couldn't help but tell people about our King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. As we stand and as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 282, Living for Jesus, will you come as the Lord lays on your heart this morning? Let's stand as we sing our hymn of invitation and you make your way and come. seated for just a moment. Good morning. Brother Jim, thank you for that powerful message. It was very good. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome any first-time visitors with us, and uh, uh, we're glad to see you with us, and uh, please come back. We'd love to see your face again. Also, a lot of other visitors out there, uh, Ann McCain, it was good to have you back. She's a former member. Jackson family, there's, uh, y'all got a big clan here today. Daniel's good to see you, the rest of you. And other visitors, we're just so glad that you're uh, here with us today. Try to make the announcements short here. Uh, first of all, on the sides of the uh, podium, you'll find two sets of papers. One is a survey by the personnel committee if you haven't turned that in, please uh, fill it out. Uh, you can put it on offering plates. Uh, you can give it to church office, usher. Uh, so I'm not sure when those are due by, but uh, please get them done the next week. Uh, and then also you'll see a report from the nominating committee that'll be part of this evening's business meeting. So if you'd like to get that ahead of time, we do encourage you if you take one, please just one per family, because we are somewhat limited. We want to make sure everybody gets a copy. 
from uh, some other announcements from Terry Stone. If any, anyone is interested in helping with the blanket mission project for Awanas or learning, just learning how to make them yourself, please see Terry Stone. Other announcements, let's see, uh, so, some prayer concerns. Um, I know there's several who are going through some tests and procedures. Uh, Hilda Corley is one of those. Jewel Farrell has been going through tests. Um, I know Beverly Daniel had fell a couple weeks ago and has a couple of broken ribs, be in prayer for her. And I know there's others that are going through situations, Just we just want to remember each of them in prayer. Uh, also, uh, uh, Bell Royton has been under the weather, so please keep her in your prayers. Two, me uh, two committees that want to meet after church, buildings and grounds, please meet, uh, if you're on that committee, please meet at the piano for a short meeting. And if you're a deacon, please uh, meet with Rick in the uh, conference room. Thank you. <laughs> I'm losing it. Uh, and then... Um, Matt asked me to remind the, uh, the youth about the uh, meeting, or see you at the poll. It's in the bulletin. It's for a youth at the, it's Tullahoma High School on Wednesday the 27th at 7.30. Also, following that, that evening for the youth will be a cookout at the high school. And Matt will be providing more details uh, in the near future on that. So if you're youth, uh, please talk to Matt about that. There's a lots of other things. Uh, business meeting tonight, please come join us for that. Uh, it's our quarterly meeting. Uh, next Sunday, we'll have the Lord's Supper, and uh, Mercy Well will be uh, in the morning service. And uh, have I missed anything, Jim? That So if there's, unless there's some other announcements somebody has, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just do thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. Thank you, Father, for your love and your blessings, and Father, that you watch over and care for us. Father, you truly suffered on the cross that day for our salvation, and we're, we're just deeply grateful, Father. We just ask, Lord, that as we go through this next week, that, that Father, that uh, we might be a light to the community, that others might see you through our actions. And Father, we just want to continue to pray for those that are going through situations, going through sicknesses and illnesses, our elderly Father, just anyone, Father, that has a special need. You know each and every one of them, Father, but we just pray for each and every one of them. Lord, we just ask your forgiveness. Uh, take us home now safely and bring us back soon. These things we ask, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.